Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Delighted to be back again. And again, we are uh, uh, exercising our program uh, with uh, the protocol that uh, we've been using. We are uh, doing it by Zoom. And we have on the other end of this Zoom broadcast, my friend Tom Campbell, who was the creator and executive producer and moderator of NC Spin for uh, 24 years. Well, I don't know. How long did you do that program, Tom? 22 and a half. 22 and a half years. I knew it was, I knew it was well over 20 years. And, uh, I, I was always a big fan of the program because it, it allowed the, uh, discussion of issues with, uh, two thinking conservatives and two thinking liberals. And they would banner the discussion. I, I missed the program a lot, Tom, and wish you'd bring it back, but I know that's, uh, something that, uh, uh, you, uh, after a while, you just uh, run out of steam and can't do it anymore. Well, it, it, there were a lot of factors behind it, Don. One was that it was getting prohibitively expensive uh, to be able to run it. Uh, and the, the, the pandemic, uh, frankly, did away with a lot of the financial support that we've had. A lot of it had to do with the fact that I just didn't like the political climate anymore. I, I, uh, I feel like I'm kind of a dinosaur playing in that sandbox um, with the demonization and the uh, politicization of uh, everything in the in the political world today. And um, it's so far different from what you and I first encountered when we first got into broadcasting and covering events. Um, And I felt like it, it was just best to step back. Uh, and and take a breather and who knows uh, I don't know that we'll ever resurrect NC Spin but it's possible we may come back with some some other kind of, of programming but we loved it and enjoyed it speaking the end of things I have to say that I am one of the fans of the Sunday Night Hall of Fame <laughs> who is uh, very upset over the loss of a program particularly the the 10 to 11 hour uh, with the love songs. And it reminded me so much. We're sending our best to you (laughs) of of Jimmy Capps and and the whole program. Well, fewer and fewer people are still around that remember Jimmy Capps, but he was uh, a legend in, uh, in so many different ways. And on top of that was just a wonderful person Died very young from cancer, but, uh, uh, was so so very very popular with his program, but uh, no, it uh, we uh, actually uh, killed the program ourselves by introducing the, the uh, a program uh, a radio station in the market that played that kind of music all the time, and so it uh, it uh, took away from the audience. And also, after a, a period of time, it's it's just time to change. And we are going to uh, move the program to some form of syndication. Uh, to our version that will be on a number of stations across the state. Well, anyway, so much for Good. that. Good. Uh, I wanted to, I particularly wanted to have you on because I know you are a uh, observer of all things political. And one of the things that we keep getting an awful lot of uh, uh, discuss, uh, questions about is this a, this uh, question of Medicaid expansion and uh, North Carolina is one, I think of about 10 States uh, that has chosen not to, use the federal government's additional funding for Medicaid expansion. There are proponents for doing it, and there are people who are still yet opposed to it. 
of what I was hoping to get you to do is sort of explain the reasons behind both positions, uh, why some people are for it and some people are against it. Could, could you do that for us? I can. And, and, and thank you for asking the question, because uh, I am one who has switched sides on this issue. Uh, I started off uh, very early on when uh, it was part of the Obamacare program and it was being offered to the states to expand the Medicaid roles in their respective states. And at the time, if you remember, it was a 90-10 proposition with the feds picking up 90% of the money, the states 10%. Uh, However, it was sunsetted after uh, a certain number of years. And uh, our legislators at the time, I thought very wisely said, let's not get into a federal program in which the federal funding might end. Uh, One of the truisms in, in working in government and working in programming is once you extend a benefit to someone, you can't pull it back. And so I felt very strongly that this was kind of a proposition where we were entering into uh, this expansion, not knowing whether or not the funding was going to be there over uh, a period of time. As, as time has gone on, however, and other states have, have joined this, as you said, we're about, uh, there are only about 10 who haven't. Um, and, and most of them, by the way, are Republican-controlled uh, states. Uh, I, I, I've changed my position on this uh, largely because I've watched how it worked in other states. And it has uh, been a very great benefit uh, for a lot of different reasons. For one thing, it has uh, put a lot of people in uh, a healthcare system that previously didn't have one. I think one of the things that people need to understand about this is that people who don't have health insurance, they're getting medical treatment one way or the other. I know that you were involved for a number of years on the UNC hospital uh, boards and, and uh, Bill Roper and I had had some conversations about this. The people who show up at your door, the federal law says that a hospital, if you show up at their door, they have to treat you regardless of whether you have insurance and regardless of whether you have money to pay for it or not. And so where does that, where does the, where does the money come from that you provide care to those people? Uh, Many people call it indigent care, welfare care, whatever you might want to name it, but the hospitals are having to do this. Now, uh, so in the vast number of cases, particularly for our public hospitals, uh, meaning those that are not-for-profit kinds of hospitals, uh, they're having to take it out of the revenues that they generate, if you will, uh, in a private sector kind of uh, context, they're taking it from profits. Well, essentially what that means is that you and I are paying higher rates when we go check into the hospital and have procedures because they're having to overcome the vast amount of money that they are spending for indigent care. And it is not insignificant with these hospitals. So one of the reasons I think I changed my mind was because I think it's one of those, like the old Fram oil filter commercial, pay me now or pay me later. Uh, One way or the other, we're paying for it. If you've got health insurance, you're paying for it through higher premiums 
and for higher cost when you go to the hospital. If you don't have health insurance, the hospital is going to treat you anyway, and it's coming out of their reserves or out of their so-called profits. Non nonprofits don't really have profits. But um, the other thing was that as time has gone on, and I've looked at these other states that have, have expanded Medicaid, uh, the track record is pretty good. Uh, they have improved the health of uh, the numbers of people who have uh, gone into this Medicaid program. And additionally, uh, it, it's been a situation where the program has run smoothly. Uh, I don't think the feds are going to take the funding away. Just like I said, once you extend a benefit to somebody, you can't pull it back. Well, I think the federal government's in the same situation. Once they provide that benefit to states, <laughs> They're going to play hell. Uh, pardon me, you can't say that on radio. Uh, they're going to have a hard time removing that. So what I came down to ultimately is that a large number of the people who are opposed to Medicaid expansion, frankly, are opposed because Barack Obama proposed the plan. And that's the wrong reason for being opposed to expanding health care. Uh, to people. And some three to 400,000 people in our state could benefit from it. This new, this new uh, relief program that uh, President Biden is signing, this $1.9 trillion program, has some real benefits to states uh, for expanding Medicaid. And so I, I think the evidence now is over on the other side. And I think we ought to join those states uh, who have Medicaid expansion. Yes, I, I was on the board of the hospital and we called it uncompensated care. Uh, and it was a huge number. A, a, a further complication is uh, when you are uh, forced to play games to recover this money, then your bookkeeping gets to be to the point where it's hard to follow. And we all get these bills uh, from the hospital when we have insurance that says, the charges are $300, your insurance paid $200, you owe zero. Yeah. And I've never been able to figure uh, where that other $100 went. Well, it's yeah. like our old, yeah, it's, it's like our old friend J.D. Longfellow uh, jokingly used to say, you know, how much is one and one? Well, what would you want for it to be? Yeah. <laughs> what do you want it to be? <laughs> so, it, yeah, creative, creative accounting is not necessarily a category I think they're teaching in business schools anymore. I just think it's time. We had, uh, you and I had a, uh, and have a long-term friend named Wade Hargo, who's a communication lawyer, now retired. But Wade used to say the same thing when I would call him about a FCC matter. I'd say, Wade, what is the FCC rule on so-and-so? And he would pause for a moment and say, well, Don, I'm your lawyer. What do you want the rule to say? <laughs> And we would always start from that point, and it was uh, actually it saved an awful lot of conversation. Well, and, not only that, but but you know, uh, people envision that the law is all black or white. It's not. Uh, in in so many cases, um, it, it's uh, in, it's how you interpret it, uh, and furthermore, what you can get by uh, in in uh, asserting. So let's uh, let's look at the North Carolina General Assembly. Are we likely to see a change in that position in North Carolina? Will we become one of the uh, states that joins the federal program? It has been enhanced recently, and there's even more reason, I guess, to join it now than it's ever been. Yeah, I, I, I wish I thought we would. Uh, 
Phil Berger just absolutely, for whatever the reason, and, and the only thing I can, can really attribute it to, and perhaps it's unfair, but the only, the, the only thing I can attribute it to is it's associated with Barack Obama, and he didn't want anything to do with that. Um, I think it's time that we did it. Uh, this latest sweetener uh, is, is something. And by the way, the hospitals turned around and said, hey, listen, we'll reimburse the state the difference between <laughs> what it cost the state for this Medicaid expansion, uh, you know, so it won't be any money out of your pocket. Frankly, it'll be cheaper for them to pay our state Medicaid percentage than it is for them to, to provide this care. Well, it's going to be interesting to watch that because as you, as we have said, uh, it has been sweetened and it makes it even more enticing to look at it again and review the uh, consequences both ways. Our guest is Tom Campbell, and uh, we're going to come back. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the uh, first days of the Biden administration and uh, Tom's view on how uh, the, the new president's administration is off to its start. And we will do that when we return with the next segment of Carolina Newsmakers. I spend a lot of time in the garage but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains, dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com, brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. When you went car shopping, you meant business. You ace vehicle history searches and test drives. You out salesmen to the salesman. Now you've got your wheels. If you manage that, you can get your retirement plan on track. Visiting aceyourretirement.org can help. With 401k tips and smart saving strategies, you'll have the info you need to get more for your future. Go to aceyourretirement.org because when it comes to speeding past financial challenges, you're an ace. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest is uh, Tom Campbell, who's been with us a number of times. Tom, of course, uh, uh, Tom, you're still writing your uh, daily uh, uh, newsletter, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, the weekly newsletter, and I'm also publishing weekly columns, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, how, how would someone go about getting on your mailing list if you are uh, sending that information out by email? Well, uh, the best way to do it is to go to our website, ncspin.com, and you can subscribe to our uh, newsletter. It goes off every Friday morning, and uh, uh, we've got about 5,000 people uh, across the state who are subscribed to it. We'd like to have more. Uh, We never use people's names in any way. I mean, a lot of times you get on these lists, and next thing you know, they're selling your name to a a charity or a nonprofit or something like that. And you're getting all this strange email or you're getting strange telephone calls. We don't do any of that uh, because frankly, it irks the heck out of me. And I know it would other people too. 
So uh, we'd be delighted to have uh, folks. We have uh, people from all across the state, uh, and uh, that may not be a large number so far as a subscriber base is concerned, uh, but they're fairly loyal, and at the same time, they let us hear from us uh, from them. Uh, if we're we try to publish just like we did with the TV show, we try to publish a balance of columns from folks on the right, folks on the left, and folks that are sort of in the center. Uh, so uh, every week it comes out, and uh, we'd love to have people join it. Well, again, it's ncspan.com, right? Correct. Okay. Uh, Tom, we are off and running with a new administration on the federal level. How do you uh, see that uh, this start has uh, uh, begun and and, uh, what kind of marks would you give uh, the Biden administration on how it's uh, governing? I'd say probably a little early to assign a grade. Uh, I will say this as a journalist and as an observer, It's kind of nice not to wake up every morning uh, having to see what kind of bombastic tweets or or, or things have happened in the course of of the news day. Uh, It sort of feels like in this crazy year that we've experienced uh, since the pandemic. And in fact, it was about a year ago when we really first started experiencing this. It's kind of nice to settle back into some sense of normalcy so far as the news cycle and so forth is concerned. Uh, Biden got a huge victory this week in that $1.9 trillion uh, relief package. Uh, Unfortunately and significantly, uh, it was all because of Democrats and no Republicans. And I think it signals once again the fact that there is no such thing in Washington as any kind of bipartisan or consensus kind of legislation. And I think we're getting ready to see the president run into that head first. So far as any other legislation is concerned, he got this through because of a process called reconciliation. Uh, I think, you know, regardless of whether you like his politics or not, I think Joe Biden is a terribly fine person. Uh, and and uh, I think he has uh, led a life uh, that is is certainly worth uh, uh, applauding and observing. He's he's had good times and bad times. Um, I, I, the jury is out, uh, as far as I'm concerned, on what his administration is going to be like. I think he's uh, nominated uh, some good people uh, to his cabinet, uh, <laughs> none the least of which is Donald Reagan. And by the way, this is fascinating because uh, you listen to all the national people and they want to call him Reagan. Uh, but uh, here in North Carolina, we know it's Reagan uh, because he was our secretary of Diener for uh, a number of years. Uh, a very good, good appointment. And I, I suspect he's going to uh, have a loud voice and a good voice uh, uh, for the administration. Um I think there are a lot of uh, battles that need to be fought, uh, none the least of which is infrastructure. You know, we're operating a 21st century uh, country with 19th century infrastructure. Uh, In fact, a lot of it was started under Dwight Eisenhower and been uh, some changes and improvements made. But uh, we've got far too many bridges that are substandard. We've got water and sewer systems that are I mean, I think this is a major task 
for our legislature in North Carolina also. And I keep hoping and waiting that we will get around to this. I saw where Treasurer Dale Falwell uh, the other day said that uh, we have borrowing capacity, not necessarily just for transportation, but we have borrowing capacity that we could um, initiate to begin uh, looking at some of this infrastructure uh, and and uh, doing something about some of these systems, water and treat water and sewer systems, I think are probably among my pet projects because um, we have far too many substandard water and sewer systems across the uh, across the state that need to be fixed. Bridges, schools. We haven't had a big school, public school. Uh, renovation uh, program for a number of years. And one of the big problems, by the way, in this debate about sending your kids back to school is that so many of these schools don't have heating and air conditioning systems um, or, or don't have modern HVAC systems. And so uh, when you're saying that part of the premise of being able to send a kid back to school is that they need to be in rooms where there's good circulation. Well, in some of these old schools that were built back in the 30s and 40s and 50s, um, there's no way you're going to get that. So um, I, I, your original question was about Joe Biden, and I've wandered far afield. But I do think that uh, it's going to be interesting to see what he's what he's able to do. He's rolled back a lot of the Donald Trump uh, initiatives so far as uh, foreign relations are concerned. Uh, I applaud those uh, in the main. I think he's done uh, very well uh, to do that. Trump uh, had uh, some very unusual and unique perspectives. Uh, and uh, I think it's time for us to rejoin the world. I have some fears that uh, if we're not really uh, awake uh, and aware and aggressive, China is going to pass us. Uh, insofar as uh, technology and uh, 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 automation and, and uh, their economy is concerned. So uh, that's a big challenge for him. This immigration issue is not something that Donald Trump created. It's been going on for as many years as, as we can remember. Um, and I, I, wish that, I wish I thought we had a Congress that was willing to sit down and say, okay, what's the best thing for us to do here? What, what is the ideal so far as how many people should be allowed to come into this country and under what circumstances uh, and how many should be allowed a path for citizenship? Instead, it's just become another one of those ugly partisan issues. Uh, but it's something that we desperately need to uh, address and have for more than 20 years. So I, I think he has an awful lot of challenges. Uh, I think that the real, um, the telling of the tale, I think, is going to be how well he uh, is able to reach across the aisle and get some consensus and get some of these things passed. Uh, he spent 36 years in the United States Senate, so he certainly understands that body. And frankly, it's the Senate um, that is uh, at issue. Uh, I personally think they need to do away with the filibuster laws, but that's uh, that's the only way I think that you're ever going to see any kind of bipartisan uh, compromising situation because one party 
can stagnate the, the legislative process should they choose. So I, I think that uh, we'll ask me again next year this time. I think we'll have a better idea of, of how the Biden administration is doing. I'd say it was off to a good start. I'd give it a C plus, maybe a B minus at this point. Uh, certainly this relief package was huge, and I think it's going to help a tremendous number of people, 70 percent of the populace in poll after poll after poll says that they favor the relief package. And I think that's primarily because 70% think they're going to be getting a check from uncle Sam, <laughs> getting some of their own money back, if you will. But I, but I, uh, the, it is a very far reaching bill and it is one I think that has some good provisions as well as some bad. Well, there's a big case <clears throat> to uh, Dale Falwell's case because right now interest rates are at an all-time low. <clears throat> a bond referendum not only would take advantage of that and get some projects out of the way, but it also puts money in the economy because it, that money is spent. And, uh, it puts people workers. to work. Yeah. So it's, it's a double dip. And uh, so this is maybe something that uh, the uh, General Assembly should should look at and uh, consider because I'm not sure there will ever be a more favorable time. I, I, I keep looking at interest rates and I begin to wonder at what point in time are they going to start paying me to borrow the money? Uh, it's, a, it's almost to that point. But Don, we saw some, and let me hit this uh, before we have to end this segment. We saw, I think, some really great news in North Carolina this week. We saw the legislature and the governor come together on the school reopening bill. Uh, now, admittedly, uh, they messed it up to start off with. The legislature marched off and, and passed a bill uh, without any uh, conversation with the governor. The governor summarily vetoed the bill uh, without any conversation with the legislature. Finally, when all else failed, they all recognized we needed to put these kids back in the classroom. And so when all else failed, they finally decided to come together and talk with each other and compromise on this and come up with a good measure for putting our kids back in the classroom. And I hope, I hope they learned a lesson from this. And that is, you know, it's the old adage, if you get more flies with honey uh, than you do with, with vinegar. Uh, I hope they figured out that they can talk with each other, they can work with each other, and rather than the legislature marching off in one direction or the governor marching off in one direction, uh, if they'll sit down and just have some conversations, uh, they can benefit the people in our state. Certainly the, the evidence is there. We've got to get these kids back in the classroom. What was it uh, of the progress uh, reports and tests? What was it, 20% or 10% of the seniors uh, would fail their grades because this virtual learning just has not been successful. We, we did it too, too rapidly. We weren't prepared for it. It wasn't good, uh, particularly with younger age students. Uh, it, it, it is something that just absolutely has to happen. We've got to get these kids back into class because we can't afford to lose a generation of children. Well, as you said, I think more than anything else, perhaps they've learned the, the lesson of dialogue and uh, getting together and talking over issues. 
that uh, that never can hurt. There's no way in the world that that can hurt. You may still leave the room with uh, disagreement, but uh, the conversation creates uh, a sense of camaraderie and also uh, sometimes some very good things come out. And almost all good legislation is always the result of some of amount of, uh, of compromise. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, what do you need out of this bill? Let me tell you what I need to get out of this bill. Now let's come together and figure out how to get what both of us need. Our guest is Tom Campbell, and we will come back and in the next segment of Carolina Newsmakers. I, Tom, I want to turn to the future of politics, uh, the future of the Democratic Party, the future of the Republican Party, not only uh, in North Carolina, but also nationally. And we'll do that when we return with the next segment of Carolina Newsmakers. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. I'm a 40-year-old man that walked in there to get his high school diploma. It was very hard for me, but Ms. Araceli, she gave me direction. At age 47, Marco finished his high school diploma. 50% of getting your high school diploma is walking through those doors. The other 50% is doing the work. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back with Carolina Newsmakers. Uh, Our guest is Tom Campbell, who just ended a 22-year run with North Carolina Spin, a a, a political program that was on the UNC TV, uh, now NC, uh, PBS, NC. uh, Yes. A new name uh, for public broadcasting in North Carolina. But anyway... uh, Tom did that program for 22 years. And those of you who might not be familiar with the program, Tom had two, uh, a panel of four people, two from the uh, conservative viewpoint and two from the liberal point. It, the panel changed from, um, from time to time to give some different perspective, but always it was very interesting and just a great program. And I, I'm sorry the program has ended. And uh, But... Uh, it was uh, it made many contributions to the success of our state. Well, Tom, that's exactly one of the things I want to turn to in this this segment, because uh, we have a, a very interesting situation in North Carolina, where uh, clearly North Carolina is one of the most purple states you're ever going to see. Not only is the uh, um, if, if you take poll after poll after poll and ask people whether they're liberal or conservative, that ends up being sort of purple. If you ask about political parties, and of course, the very high number of people who are now registering unaffiliated, which means that they're not buying into the uh, the uh, political philosophies of either the Democrats or the Republicans, remaining uh, 
open to consider uh, both views, I guess. So this is creating sort of an interesting situation, not only here in North Carolina, and I want to focus on that first, and then we'll turn to the national situation, because uh, on the national situation, it looks like we're in an era where the uh, Democrats are uh, maybe uh, being put in a position to put forward a very liberal candidate and the Republicans a very conservative candidate. When, in fact, the middle of the country uh, looks at uh, both sides and says, wait a minute, where's where someone representing my view? So, <laughs> so, so let's start with the state. Where, where do you see the uh, political uh, horizon in North Carolina as far as the future of the Democratic and the Republican Party? I, I, I follow the State Board of Elections registration numbers fairly closely. If you look at it, um, by the way, when I first started covering, uh, this will tell you how things have changed and how old I am. When I first started covering politics, there were three registered Democrats to every one Repub uh, registered Republican uh, in the state. I'll never forget uh, the chairman of the, the Pitt County Republican Party where I grew up said he could hold a Republican County convention in the phone booth across from the courthouse uh, anytime he wanted to. <laughs> uh, but it has changed dramatically. Right this moment, we have 35% of the more than 7 million registered voters in our state uh, are registered as Democrats. 33%, and by the way, the, the only and fastest growing uh, category is unaffiliated voters. 31% now are Republicans, which has dropped down from where it once was. Um, I think the unaffiliated voters are essentially saying uh, to, to those in politics, we don't like either party. We're, like you were saying a few minutes ago, we're not crazy about the agenda that's being advocated by the left, and we're not crazy about the agenda that's being ad advocated by the right. Uh, by the way, I do think it is very, very interesting to note um, that since uh, the start of this year, there have been more than 7,000 registered Republicans. I think that's the correct number. It was 5,000 several weeks ago, but close to 7,000 registered Republicans that have changed their affiliation since that time. They're, they're, not, they're still going to vote. They just are going to vote as unaffiliateds. Now, uh, let's be very clear about that. These people still have their affinities. They're, if they were Republicans before, they probably are still going to go into the, the voting booth and probably lean a little center-right in candidates, uh, just as those who were formerly Democrats will probably go in and lean a little toward center-left. But I think it's a, it's a, it's a great commentary on where we are today. I think there are a couple of things that uh, come to my mind as issues that, that should be addressed. Uh, the one is that we make it nigh unto impossible for people who are unaffiliated <clears throat> to be able to run for and get elected to public office in North Carolina. The archaic process that we have is that uh, if you're an unaffiliated uh, candidate, You've got to go out and get a petition drive, get voter names on a petition drive. Uh, don't hold me strictly to this, but I think that um, based on the last election, 
if you're running a statewide election as an unaffiliated candidate, you got to get something like 80,000 people to sign a petition for you to be able to, to run uh, unaffiliated statewide. Uh, now, why is that? Well, it, it, the simple reason is obviously the two political parties don't want you to be able to run as an unaffiliated. Uh, we might start seeing uh, a rash of unaffiliated elected officers across the state, and uh, they don't want that. They like having the dominance uh, that they now have. Uh, it kind of forces candidates uh, to, to choose. Uh, for instance, I am an unaffiliated candidate. Should I choose, which, by the way, my wife says that she will have me incarcerated if I decide to do that. Should I choose to run for political office? Uh, the only way I have any chance of winning that office is either to declare as a Republican or a Democrat. Uh, and I, I'm unaffiliated because I don't want to belong to either of the parties right now. You're forcing me to probably make that choice. So I think we need to. Um, loosen the ballot restrictions for unaffiliated candidates uh, to be able to run. The political climate in North Carolina uh, is as divisive. You talk about we're a purple state, but the political climate is as divisive as I think it's ever been. If you go east of 995, most of the counties you enc encounter down there, with the exception of some pockets like around Greenville, where you've got East Carolina University and the medical school, um, most of the counties are red and they're very red and they're strongly uh, Republican leaning. Uh, if you go into the urban areas, Wake County, um, you stand a pretty good chance of running and getting elected in Wake County as a Democrat, not as a Republican. The same is true in Charlotte and Mecklenburg County, Winston-Salem and Forsyth and Greensboro, uh, and Guilford County. Uh, so we're seeing a division uh, of the state with the more urban, more uh, metropolitan areas turning blue and the more rural areas turning red. Now, the numbers there are problematic from the standpoint of where is the population growth taking place in this state? It's taking place in these urban and suburban uh, counties that are increasingly blue. So, uh, and, and Democratic uh, leaning. So I think that the political climate in North Carolina is, is as you say, if you look at the last election, golly, uh, people were predicting this blue wave. In fact, I was part of your uh, election returns uh, on WPTF that night, and it started out looking like there was going to be a blue wave in North Carolina, and we we're going to see the election of a lot of Democrats. I don't think there's any way to uh, describe what happened uh, as to say uh, that it was a great night for Republicans. It was a great election for Republicans across our state. More county commissions are, are dominated by Republicans. Uh, more city councils, uh, except in urban areas, by Republicans. Uh, our Council of State still has a plurality of people uh, who are Republicans. and. Uh, the legislature uh, is certainly controlled by Republicans. So um, it's an anomaly that we have a Democratic uh, governor and a Republican-controlled legislature. Uh, I'm not so sure people are upset about that. I think they kind of like 
the, the fact that no one party, no one group is dominating everything that takes place in the state. Uh, and I see this probably continuing on uh, for some period of time. I think that um, politics has become a blood sport. Uh, I think most of us hate that. I think we would like to see uh, a return to times. Gosh, I can remember when I first started working for Harlan Bowles uh, as uh, assistant state treasurer. And uh, we'd go to these legislative receptions uh, that so many of these trade and professional groups would sponsor while the legislature was in session. And it was not uncommon at all to see Republicans and Democrats standing beside each other with their arms around each other, having a drink and talking a lot of business, talking a lot of politics. What do you think about this bill that's coming up? Uh, what are the problems you see with it? What are the advantages you see with it? And, and some give and take. And a lot of times that discussion ended up in committee and changes were made and compromise, as you were talking about before, uh, ended up by happening. Uh, they don't talk to each other anymore. And I think that's sad. Uh, I think it's detrimental to the future of North Carolina. We got some big issues in this state. We're doing better than an awful lot of states. We are grow, we're still growing pretty rapidly. Uh, and there are a lot of great things going on in North Carolina. None the least of which, by the way, is the fact that our legislature wisely set aside these rainy day funds and these reserve funds uh, so that now we're not like a lot of other states that are just desperate, gasping for air, trying to figure out how they're going to pay their employees. We're, we're financially in very, very good shape uh, due to the, the prudence of, of our legislature. But we still got some very, very big problems that we need to address. Education is one of them. Uh, don't get me. In fact, I'd like to talk uh, in the next segment, perhaps, about the governance of education in North Carolina. But uh, it would behoove us to have people who learned to work together uh, instead of standing on different corners of the room shouting at each other. You've got about two minutes now to talk about uh, the future of the Democratic and Republican Party nationally. Well, I, I think uh, Democrats have got to decide who they are. Both the parties are, are pretty uh, factionalized. Uh, you've got the really progressive wing of the Democratic Party, uh, a more moderate wing of the Democratic Party, and then uh, a more conservative wing. They are by far in the minority. Uh, I think Democrats have got to figure out what their message is and, and got to, to, to settle on it. I think as long as Donald Trump is running the Republican Party, uh, they're in for hard times ahead. I just I don't see um, Trump uh, and the Republican Party, a Trump led Republican Party. I don't see it winning national elections uh, that much in the future. I, I think he is uh, so bombastic, so off the page that there a lot of my Republican friends, uh, one of our joint friends, Bob Orr, uh, who's been a lifelong Republican, 46 years left the Republican Party this year. He said, I just can't stomach uh, what Donald Trump did to my party. Uh, and it's the old adage you might remember back in the 60s and 70s where Democrats were bailing out on the Democratic Party and they say, I didn't leave the Democratic Party, they left me. Uh, I think Republicans, a lot of Republicans are saying that now. Well, it's going to be interesting to watch. And of course, uh, you know, every seat in Congress will be up and uh, 
less than, less than two years and one third of the Senate. So uh, things could change radically in just two years on the, on the uh, national level. And the, uh, the margins in both the House and the Senate are kind of razor thin. So it would be interesting to watch that. Well, we have one more final segment coming up with our guest, Tom Campbell. And uh, we will do that uh, in just a moment. And as Tom suggested, we want to look at uh, uh, the point that he brought up. Also, we want to talk about the media and how it's uh, uh, evolving as far as how it's covering the news these days. We're going to do that when we return with the final segment of Carolina Newsmakers. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Tom and Levi. Tom is the smartest man I know. He's been a professor at two major universities, been a teacher for over 40 years. One day, he told me that he was having um, problems in his classes. I think one of the students had asked the question and he didn't remember the answer. And I also noticed that he was letting his class out earlier than they were supposed to let out. And he was telling them that he was doing it as a favor to them. But I think in reality, he just wanted to get out of there. Um, I was really starting to worry because I saw something was wrong. Levi and I talked about how it would change our lives, but he was there beside me, and my love for him was just immense. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. America, your children have an amazing superpower. They can help save lives by not having playdates. That's right. By replacing get-togethers with virtual playdates and video chats, they can help slow the evil spread of germs. And if your superheroes do go outside, make sure they continue their superhero wing by staying six feet away from others to protect everyone in America land. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back on the final segment of Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week is Tom Campbell. A reminder, for those of you who are listening to the 30-minute version of this program, uh, if you'd like to hear the two segments that you missed, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and get those additional two segments. Or for all of you who would like to share this broadcast, uh, you can share it with friends or repeat it for your own edification uh, because the entire broadcast is there. Our guest this week is Tom Campbell, who is the uh, uh, executive producer and moderator of North Carolina Spin for 22 years and uh, has been a longtime 
friend of mine, and uh, we have been in the broadcasting business for a long time. And I, I want to open up with that, uh, Tom, talking about uh, how the media landscape has changed and how that is affecting the state of North Carolina. For years, uh, newspapers, especially daily newspapers, had a really important position as far as when they shared their opinions on the opinion page and also shared more news than they are sharing now. Uh, this news void is uh, sort of interesting because I don't think I've ever seen a period of time where the average person has at his disposal or her disposal information uh, to which they can form opinions. Uh, they don't have the background on issues that uh, uh, are so important to us all. What do you see happening there, Tom, as, and where is the replacement for the, the, uh, the daily newspaper's role? Uh, Don, you've asked probably one of the more important questions uh, in our state right now. Um, Thomas Jefferson said that we could depend on people uh, to uphold a democracy uh, so long as they were well informed uh, and, and could, uh, would, would therefore make good decisions. Uh, I really mourn the loss uh, of our newspapers. You and I both competed against local newspapers uh, in our small town broadcasting careers throughout the years. Uh, and the newspaper was the dominant news and advertising force in, in most communities. Um, and it's sad to see exactly what's happened uh, to newspapers. I think some of it is their own fault. Uh, frankly, I think as, as times got tight, as revenues started getting squeezed, they started laying off their news reporters. Uh, I told John Drescher when he was a publisher for uh, the News and Observer in, in Raleigh, I said, John, you, you need to understand one thing. I don't subscribe to the News and Observer to give me international news. I don't subscribe to the News and Observer to tell me national news. I subscribe to the News and Observer because I want you to tell me local and state news. And, and what you're doing is increasingly filling your pages with stuff that you're getting off Associated Press and uh, news coverages that are coming from your national organization and so forth like that. When what I want to know is what did the legislature do yesterday? I want to know what is my city council doing? And you've just about forsaken um, that franchise. And uh, he said, you know, when I first started as publisher of the News and Observer, we had something like 140 people uh, in our newsroom. Uh, and he said, today it's something like 60. Uh, and so he said, there's just no way in the world that these people can cover all of these things because the economics just aren't there. Uh, I recognize that. I worry also about uh, social media from the standpoint that uh, in, in social media, Facebook, Twitter, whatever it may happen to be, uh, nobody is vetting these stories. Nobody is actually fact-checking these stories. So as a result, uh, you can put in there anything that you want to put in on Facebook or uh, Twitter or any of these other social media sites. You can say anything you want to and, and get away with it. And if you say it long enough and loud enough, you can get a lot of people to believe it. 
I think that's one of the problems that we saw in this last election was the lie that kept getting repeated over and over and over again that the election was rigged, that it was stolen, that it was unfair. Uh, and again, enough people repeated it and said it enough to the point where a large number of folks believed it. So I have very real concerns about that. I think that by, by and large, CBS, NBC, and, and, and ABC still do a pretty credible job of delivering news. Uh, I watch Lester Holt uh, just about every night uh, because if it comes on NBC News, uh, it's been vetted by at least two people before the story actually goes on the air. Uh, now, cable news networks uh, are a big misnomer, by the way. They're not really news networks. They're opinion networks. And unfortunately, they try to disguise it as, as news. Uh, and, and perhaps maybe they fool a lot of people into believing that. Uh, they're not really news, they're opinion pieces. And, and the folks like uh, Rachel Maddow and, and uh, uh, all of the Fox News commentators and so they're, they're, they're stars, they're, they're media personalities, they're not news people per se in the majority of cases. So I do worry about uh, what's going to happen. I think there's a great place for radio here. Uh, you and I both come from a background where our stations did cover local events and local news. And, and, and I think there's a good place uh, for radio there. However, uh, in the majority of cases, we've seen the same thing happen with radio that we're seeing uh, with these cable networks in that uh, predominantly, and it, it's especially true on AM radio, uh, it's turned into political talk shows. Uh, there, there is usually some factual basis to some of the things that are being discussed, but there's also an awful lot of opinion. And sadly, um, the, it, it takes a very discerning, uh, a, a very uh, interested person to determine the difference between opinion and fact. And uh, so I worry about the news business. I was part of a conversation uh, several weeks ago with uh, a number of people, predominantly old newspaper people, who were talking about how do we uh, begin some alternative, some, some new kind of media voices. Um, and, and in fact, I chastised them a little bit because all of it was uh, print designed, print oriented. And I said, folks, you need to understand that in today's time, particularly with the Generation X and the Generation Y and the the millennials, if you want to talk to those people, there's got to be an audio component. There's got to be an audio and video component. That's what they want to see. That's what they want to hear. And uh, any news that you're planning to try to present to them, uh, you got to do it, uh, both audio and video. Uh, but I worry about the future of news. Well, one of the things that happens, and you see this more often on the cable news networks than you do ABC, CBS, and NBC as far as national situation, is having too much time because what happens yes. is you begin to overcover a story and you look for a particular angle. I, I always go back to the tragic death of John Kennedy's uh, flight that uh, ended his life, and one of the networks was so desperate for news they found his fifth grade teacher and, and and the fifth grade teacher said that john kennedy jr made uh, paper airplanes 
Yeah. In the fifth grade. I mean, yeah. you know, they, they were so desperate for news. They were going. And if that had something to do with. Yeah. Yeah. And so one of the things that happens, uh, and this also happens particularly with all news radio, or all news or all talk radio, as well as uh, the cable networks, you've got too much time. And so you begin to fill it with things that uh, uh, do begin to involve opinion uh, because that's the only place you can go after the news is covered. I mean, and we need to you cover it. We need to remember that this is a business too. Uh, these folks on these cable news networks depend on having eyeballs uh, and ears uh, in order to be able to sell advertising on their networks, and uh, they live and die by what is commonly known in the business as AQH, average quarter hour audience. Uh, and and in order to make more money than you made before, your your AQH has got to be higher this next quarter hour than it was the last quarter hour. Now, what do you do to do that? You have to become more sensationalized. You have to, to somehow or another, like you were saying, find an angle, which really maybe doesn't even make any sense, but you're going to have to do something to get those eyeballs, more eyeballs, watching you so you can sell more advertising dollars. And at the end of the day, this is a big, big business. I was interested, by the way, in, in seeing a report uh, come out because, you know, Fox News has been the leader in audiences uh, for many, many years uh, uh, so far as cable news networks are concerned. MSNBC has overtaken them now. Uh, the most watched uh, cable news program now is Rachel Maddow's show on MSNBC at nine o'clock. Now that fluctuates around a little bit, but it's interesting to, I think it shows a little bit about where America is right now. And of course, uh, on a local level, the main interest is in rapes, robberies, murders, and crime. And that, uh, uh, puts the local stations in a position of not having enough time to cover state issues, county issues, and state issues, as well as national issues. Race, if, it robberies, bleeds, yeah, if it bleeds, it leads. Yep, absolutely. And, uh, uh, you know, there, there's never been anything as researched as uh, local television interests. It is yeah. highly researched, and the uh, stations know exactly what the listeners want to see. And guess what? They respond to it and they put it on. Yeah. In fact, it's over-researched, I think. No question about it. Uh, of course, uh, that can be said about a lot of things. Well, I, I, I remember this old newspaper editor in Wilson where I used to live and work. And I was talking to him about news one day and he stuck his big fist out uh, uh, to me and pointed at me. And he said, the news is by God what I tell people the news is. Uh and more times than not, he was right. Tom, we certainly appreciate you sharing time with us. Tom Campbell, the uh, moderator for the long-running program, North Carolina Spin. Uh, if you uh, would like to hear a repeat of this broadcast, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and hear that. Our program has been produced by Jason Kong, and he will have another interesting guest for us next week on the same group of stations all across North Carolina. So until next week. On the same group of stations as we said, I hope that you and yours have a great week. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong 
Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time for Carolina Newsmakers.